Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope that you enjoy this podcast from Pastor Lynn Fu and we hope that it blesses you. For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz. Senior pastored uh, this church along with Peter has been um, here for 10 years, up to about, mm, I don't know, 10 years ago, must have been, around that, anyway. But just such an amazing person. She's got about 30 years of pastoral experience. She's an incredible learner, and this morning, you're just going to get so blessed with the message that she's got. So, yeah, get ready. Thanks, Lynn. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. Thanks very much. Just want to add my welcome um, to each one of you today, and especially if you've, it's your first time here at Thrive. It's really cool to have you here. I want to read you a little story. Um, Joy Cowley, great, great author, isn't she? And uh, she's written, along with Gavin Bishop, a book called Snake and Lizard. And this is one little story. It's called The Bad Mood. Snake was lying on a warm rock in the sun when Lizard came along. I thought you were hunting for bugs, said Snake. I was. Lizard. Then I said to myself, oh, poor snake is in a bad mood. I'll go and cheer her up. I'm not in a bad mood, said snake. When you were very quiet this morning, said lizard. I'm quiet when I'm happy, said snake. Why shouldn't I be happy? It's a beautiful day. It's all right, said lizard. You don't have to pretend with me. I'm your friend. <laughs> pretend what? That you're in a good mood. But I am in a good mood, said Snake. That's what a friend is for, said Lizard. You can cry on my shoulder. You can tell me all your troubles. I don't have any troubles, said Snake. Please, Lizard, just leave me alone. What, said Lizard. Leave you alone when you need cheering up. Never. I'm going to stay here and make you feel better. Snake twitched. For the last time, Lizard, I'm not in a bad mood and I don't need cheering up. Will you please listen? Lizard patted Snake on the head. Oh, Snake, dear, you're always so brave. Well, you don't have to be brave now. Come on, just tell Lizard what's wrong. Nothing is wrong, cried Snake. Go away. Not until you feel better, said Lizard. Snake raised her head and hissed loudly. Lizard jumped back in fright. Why did you do that? Because I'm in a bad mood, said Snake. I love that wee story. Now, whether it's Snake or whether it's um, Charlie Brown up here, didn't leave home today. It was too peopley out there. You know, we can all do with improving our mental, emotional health. I'm putting the two together today because they're so entwined, mental, emotional health. You know, we can all wrestle with snakes' mood challenges or with Charlie Brown's vulnerability, those vulnerable days. And, uh, you know, this whole thing of mental, emotional health, it's not like you're totally in well-being or you're mentally ill. It's actually a continuum along there. And in the middle of it, there's all this levels of distress and anxiety and all that kind of thing. And through our lives, most of us find that we move somewhere up and down that continuum. But here in New Zealand, it's a bit more of a concern than Snake and Lizard and Charlie Brown because 
you all know that New Zealand is struggling to come to grips with mental and emotional health. Mm. And there's been new figures out just in the last uh, two or three weeks, there's been so much on the news. And we've known for quite a while that we have the worst, the highest teen suicide rate in the world. 15 to 19 year olds is double that of United States and nearly five times that of Great Britain. Now that's just distressing right there. They say that two out of 10 New Zealanders will experience some form of mental illness during their lifetime. But if you step into prison, there it's around 60%. And if you add in substance abuse, it's 91% of people suffering. And of course the prison isn't really helping out with that. But in actual fact, the truth is that it's not just those particular groups of people. It's spread across all ages and stages. And you might have seen there was some, um, an article released recently on um, the increase in use of an antipsychotic drug. And uh, it's like 49% jump in prescriptions between 2008 and 2015. This is University of Otago um, stuff, info, and the most common group taking those medications are actually European women over 65 years of age. And it's not because the population's getting more psychotic, it's that we're getting hold of these prescriptions to take them as tranquilizers, as sleep aids, and anti-anxiety meds. If you look at the actual figures for New Zealand, in the whole suicide area, the highest rate per 100,000 is actually in males 85 years and over. Most people don't know that. You know, growing old is for the brave and the courageous. And, uh, you know, it's a whole area that New Zealand needs to begin to look at. Female and male combined... The two highest ones are actually the 20 to 24-year-old and the 40 to 44-year-old, what we call midlife crisis. So it's interesting when you actually break it down, there's some stats right across the board that we need to be aware of, but we don't want to stay in amongst all of that. Let's switch. And let's imagine what life would be like if you were totally free from troubling emotions and negative thoughts. If you were completely free from fear, anxiety, worrying about what other people might think, all of that. And if you can just picture yourself, you probably see yourself a little bit differently to what you do right at the moment. And you might start to think, oh, I would do and I would be all of those things. Imagine another thing. Imagine that your soul which is your mind and your emotions and your will, that imagine that your soul is like a canvas, an artwork canvas. And all over the years, life experiences paint things on your canvas, positive and negative, happy and sad, things you like, things you don't like. And I wonder if you were to look at your soul canvas right now, what would it look like? Now, some people don't even want to have a look because they don't, they don't want to think about what's in there. But if we were to take a look, 
I wonder if some of that sole canvas might have some ugly paint splashes on and some dark patches and some distressing kind of areas that we just want to keep a lid on, hide away somewhere. You know, many people, when they look at that canvas, they think, oh, that's who I am. That's my lot. Nothing's ever going to change. But that's actually not the truth. Your sole canvas is not the real full you. The real essence of who you are is your spirit. And your spirit has the power to change that picture. And that's an amazing gift that we've been given. We can actually reframe and repaint those scars and ugly splashes of paint and shadows into something of purpose and value. Now, not many of us can do that alone. That's the truth. But with counsellors, with a good supportive community of friends, and with some excellent truth coaches and insights, and with divine help, we can make even the most distorted canvas into something beautiful and significant. Take Jess, for example. I haven't met Jess, but I've talked to her mum. Jess was raised in an amazing family in the Kapiti Coast. And uh, supportive parents, loving family, all of that. But at age 14, Jess developed anorexia and bulimia, a mental illness. For many, many months, maybe years, Jess battled this thing. Battled it alongside counsellors, alongside her wonderful, loving parents and family, alongside the prayers and support of others. But she had to battle it. She battled the lies in her mind. She battled the distressing negative emotions, the shame, the social implications, and the physical impact on her body. Now, at that point in time, the canvas of her soul was looking pretty distressed, pretty dark, full of despair, hopelessness, and pain. But not today. Today, Jess is 25 years of age, and she's married and living in Auckland. And she's a full-time social worker. And she and her husband are the adult um, ministry pastors at Equippus Church in Auckland. And not only that, Jess has taken her experience. And a few years ago, she developed a Facebook page called Tears of Hope. You can still look at it. And Tears of Hope has become a source of hope for other girls who have working through similar issues to what Jess did. And they, they share uplifting posts and, and stories and, and various events as well. It's a whole movement now. And Jess, she shares her story in all kinds of ways. She was actually on TV just recently, um, several times on TV, sharing her testimony, her story. She also speaks to groups of parents, youth workers, youth, just giving practical keys and understanding and compassion on how to walk through some of this stuff rather than live under it. So today, Jess's soul canvas is looking amazing. You know, those, those black, ugly splashes are now repainted, and there's a richness in her soul, in her life, as she's impacting so many others. So we can have hope. And I want to give you hope right from the start today that, you know, 
if there is a significant life event or series of events that have defined you or are limiting you or are telling you what you can't do, they've labelled you, events that have messed with your mental emotional health, events that have splashed hopeless and despair on the canvas of your soul, events that have maybe led to you self-medicating to numb the pain. We have a name for those things. They usually grow into addictions. And then you have the shame of the addiction and the distortion of that on top of it all. But the good news is that events can splash paint on the canvas of your soul, but you can paint over that. God is the master creator, and he's still creating. He's the master painter, and he will help you to transform anything into something of beauty and significance. And I want to give you some keys to do that today, just five keys. And uh, I want to say thank you to the likes of David Riddell and Richard Black, who are counsellors and authors and speakers. And it was way back in 2002 that I started journeying with these guys because I had some emotional health issues. And, uh, and my journey from actually probably about nine years of age has been one of needing to work on mental and emotional health and discovering more and more. So I'm just sharing some of that today. But first of all, for those of you that think this emotional area, this is all just touchy-feely stuff, airy-fairy, just leave it to women or leave it alone altogether. I want you to look at this picture of the brain, which is coming up now. We actually have, because we've got all this new brain research now, we actually have an emotional brain. It's called the limbic system. It's that purple bit down there. So you see, it's not airy-fairy. We used to think that we used to feel emotions in our heart. Well, actually, it's that part of our brain that has a whole lot to do with it. And I tell you what, if you ever have a, a, a young adolescent and you're trying to rationalize with them and their emotions are running wild, it's because their emotional system has got overloaded and it's shut out the thinking brain. The thinking brain's actually gone offline completely. They're just having a great big meltdown. Julie will tell you probably more about that next week. So I won't go into any more of that. So number one in our keys, oh, by the way, at the, uh, um, at the back and at the info table, there's a little leaflet thing here, and this has got the five keys on it. And uh, on the back, it's got a whole lot of resources and phone numbers to, um, for you to take it further and get some help or to help somebody else. So, number one is be proactive in processing your past. See, living in the baggage of your past or denying your past altogether or continually wishing your past didn't happen, they are all recipes for disaster. They're all recipes for limiting your present and sabotaging your future. That thinking has to change. And the first insight you may need is this. It's not what happened to me that's the problem. It might have been horrible, but the problem is the faulty perceptions or beliefs I took on at that time. Let's say maybe there was abuse in your childhood or maybe trauma. Maybe a parent died when you were young. That's what happened to me. Maybe... There is stuff like ongoing bullying. It has a huge impact. 
Failure, massive failure, ongoing disappointment. And we end up with certain beliefs. You just try these on for size. See if any of these fit. I'm worthless. I'm damaged. Nobody could love me. I'll never amount to anything. I'm all alone in this world. My survival is all up to me. I need to be in control to be safe. I need to keep with alarm's length to feel safe. Anger will keep me safe. All men can't be trusted, or all women. My worth is determined by my performance. Failure is fatal. You know, these misbeliefs, and there's scores more of them, you'll know some, be your personal ones. Um, all these misbeliefs, they are what splash that paint on our soul, more so than what actually happened. But proactive people know that though they can't change the past, they can change the future by facing, challenging, and replacing those faulty misbeliefs and perceptions, those damaged things that result from the past, or it may not even be the past, it might have been today or yesterday. Same kind of thing applies. Nigel Latter, in his latest TV series, I haven't actually seen it yet, but I saw a little snippet of him talking about it, and it's all about the brain. And uh, he, he said this, he said, our brain can lie to us, but we have the ability to create new pathways by telling ourselves the truth. And it's so true. But 2,000 years before Nigel said that, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Paul said, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're all on the same page. But how do you know if you have a damaged perspective or a faulty belief? Well, you could ask your spouse. They'll probably tell you. Or look for where you overreact. Let's have a look at that next one. Yep, some people have a way of just aggravating you the moment they open their mouths. But is it actually about them or is it something in you that's overreacting? We look for where we overreact with things like anger, jealousy, control, fear, things that are over the top. And they will be telling us, hey, there's something else going on. It actually isn't about this little thing that just happened. There's something unresolved that that's landing on. And what the brain does, that emotional brain, it's got a part there that stores everything up. And uh, when something else happens that's kind of similar, it will go searching for that thing. And if the brain has, emotional brain hasn't clearly labelled and filed that system, It'll pull that thing back up, shove it in your face as if it's happening again right now. And that's where we need the rational brain to be able to say, that was then, this is now. So there's a lot goes on up here. And it can be changed. What memory from the past still makes you recoil? What pain are you constantly trying to numb using things like alcohol, drugs, shopping, or busyness, achieving? They can be addictions too. Their pain numbers, if I keep 
in numbers, if I keep busy enough, that thing that I'm trying to run from won't catch up with me. I won't have to think about it. It's trying to outrun that unbearable feeling. So then, what does proactively dealing with the past look like? Let's have a look at these. It might look like telling someone you trust, I need help. I can remember in my 20s, very clearly, the day that I said to someone, I need help. The thing is, with mental and emotional distress and stuff like that, it's not obvious. Your body's still working. It's not like if you've got a broken arm and everybody says, oh, we can see, I'll help you, you know, I'll take you to the doctor and I'll, I'll look up. You get all the help and support. But when it's up here and nobody can see, you look all right on the outside, but you're breaking and breaking and so fragile on the inside and so afraid that we need to actually ask for help because people can't see. It's a huge step. It's a scary step. I know that. It might look like asking someone to pray with you. It might look like making an appointment with a counsellor, attending an emotional health seminar. Uh, Richard Black runs those regularly in Christchurch. But it will almost certainly involve forgiving people. And, um, and so forgiving people is such a big point that I want to make that a point on its own. Number two, be proactive in practising forgiveness. Now, it might be towards your parents, your spouse, your ex-partner, your boss, old classmates, siblings, or it might be yourself you actually need to forgive. You know, somebody said, you know, holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that other person is going to die. That isn't going to happen. You're the one who's getting damaged. And you will remain that other person's victim so long as you don't forgive. In fact, all you're doing is allowing them to rent space in your head. Now, how much space have you got there? You know, do you really want that person renting space in your head and just continually appearing on your screen the whole time? No, you don't. You don't want that. You know, eventually what will happen is the resentment and the bitterness that goes with that will outwork itself in your body in some way. You will get sick. Something will break down. Talk to doctors about that. So we need to understand what forgiving doesn't mean. So let's have a look what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you have to trust that person again. For example, you wouldn't trust the abuser of your children to babysit again, ever. You might let them in your house and you might talk to them, but never, they're never going to babysit your, they wouldn't be babysitting my kids again. So there's some things we need to be wise about. It doesn't mean, forgiveness doesn't mean that your suffering was meaningless or not important. No, it doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that they get off the hook. It means that their hook into you is removed. It means, if we look at the next slide, forgiveness means, does mean you become free. That's why it's such a great thing. Jesus is really big into forgiveness. He came to earth to demonstrate Father God's heart of forgiveness. And he called us to do the same thing to one another. And one day there was a conversation between Jesus and one of his um, mates. And uh, it was all around this forgiveness thing. And, and this mate said to Jesus, um, how many times do I need to forgive? Um, seven? 
thought he was being really generous. <laughs> Jesus shook his head. Peter, you don't understand. More like 70 times seven. And Peter was like, he hadn't gone that far in maths. <laughs> but the point was, forgiveness is meant to be practiced on a daily basis. And sometimes hourly, depending on what you've been through. And not only did Jesus demonstrate forgiveness and call us to do it, but he's right there to say, hey, I saw that dreadful thing that happened to you. It should never have happened. I'm going to help you to forgive that person. That's what I'm here for. You can't do that on your own. I'll help you because I want you to be free. Number three in our five steps, be proactive in accepting responsibility for the outcome of your own choices, attitudes, and predicaments. Look at Snoopy here. I don't have an attitude problem. You have a problem with my attitude, and that's not my problem. <laughs> now, he may or may not be right. It is possible he could be right. You know, as a child, your environment shapes your attitude. But somewhere around late teens, your attitude now shapes your environment. So for most of us in this room, it's our attitude that shapes our environment. So a really healthy question to ask ourselves is, when we're in a mess, how did I contribute to this mess? In the middle of an argument with your spouse or whatever the situation is, how did I contribute to it? This broken relationship, this conflict, this financial blowout, what's my part? Now the opposite is the person who will never take responsibility. They always want to shift the blame. They play the blame game. It's always somebody else's fault. It's the boss's fault, spouse's fault, the government's fault, everybody else's fault. It's never their fault. And the problem is that when we declare ourselves as a powerless victim like that, we're actually giving away any power to change anything because we just said it's their fault. So only they can fix it. I can't fix it. And so we remain a victim. And uh, victims aren't fun to hang around. And then what victims do is they get into using accusation and anger to avoid them being guilty. They use control and manipulation to get other people to do what they want. They indulge in resentment and in a very costly self-pity and that's just a counterfeit comfort that actually costs us so much, including friendships. Whereas the proactive person knows this. If bad choices got me here, then good choices can get me to a better place. It's okay to be wrong while I learn to do better. And another one is, I won't die if I admit I'm wrong. Some people think they will. They know that it's either short-term pain for long-term gain or short-term gain for long-term pain. And that's a, an area you need to teach your children when they're really young, delayed gratification. Okay, step four. Be proactive in creating a positive environment. Have we got that video ready to run? Coming up. Julia Grace is a singer songwriter 
and speaker. And uh, she's been nominated for New Zealand Music Awards. And, and amongst all her, all that she does, including her singing, she also speaks on mental emotional health. Because a number of years ago, her husband of many decades walked out on her. And she just had to go through this whole emotional crisis. So she's actually put a series of videos together which you can um, see on Facebook. We ready to run with it? That signal? Is that me now? Oh, yeah, it does. She's just got so many little one-minute clips like that. They're, they're really good. You know, the Bible says comparing ourselves amongst ourselves is not wise. If we're setting up an environment where social media is putting pressure on us and making us feel bad, then it's time to look at doing something about social media. If it's a problem for you, cut it out. Cut out Facebook if you need to. If that's affecting and bringing a negative mindset around you. Why does this positive environment matter so much? Well, in 2016, a New Zealand doctor, Graham Kidd, spoke at a blood cancer foundation meeting, and, um, and he was talking about how we've got this amazing health system in New Zealand, second to none, but he said, we're missing the bigger picture. And in bigger picture, he began to talk about the effect of environment. And I thought, oh, not enough green trees and all that, but no. He started to talk about the amount of negative information that's pouring into us on a daily basis, constant. And uh, he said this, human thought is the most toxic thing on this planet. Even when you think you're focused on one thing, you've probably got background thoughts going on which can be quite toxic. So what he's telling us is that negative thinking is toxic. Now, because he's a doctor and he studied up the whole biological thing, he can then tell us exactly what happens. Before he tells us that, another study I looked at talks about the fact we speak about 50,000 words of self-talk per day. That's a lot of chatter going on in your heads right now. And of that self-talk, 70% is negative. So there's all these negative tapes playing over and over. Back to Dr. Kidd. There are 50 trillion cells, he says, that make up our bodies. And these little cells have little antennae on them. And they pick up any uh, negative uh, changes and chemicals that are flooding through our body. And certainly with uh, anxiety and some of these things, they release that wash of chemicals through us that's quite unhealthy. So these soul, these uh, cells, he said they're eavesdropping on our thoughts the whole time. You can't hide anything from the cells in your body. They pick it up and then what can happen is that the chemistry inside the cell can actually change to the point of switching genes off or on. Now that's powerful. In the positive, it can also be powerful because before long, maybe they're going to discover ways of switching off some faulty genes. But that's why we need to, and he goes on and talks about, um, in order to keep ourselves healthy, our mind needs to be at peace. And he talks more about that. <coughs> so neuroscience is simply confirming what, again, what the Bible has told us. There's a scripture that says, keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is true, excellent, honourable, 
admirable, respectful, pure, For any and it lists them all. On this sermon or if any we could do that one thing, if I could do that one thing, we'd all be in a much better place and it would affect our bodies. But I know what you're saying. You're saying, but the media's telling us all these negative things. We can't live life in a bubble. Well, true, we do get the impression from the media that things are getting worse and worse in the world. But is that the truth? Came across an article in the New Zealand Herald last month, and uh, the guy was reviewing a book written by a... um, was a family professor in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University, Stephen Pinker, you can find him on on, um, TED Talks. And he said this, global poverty, violence, and oppression levels are all trending in the right direction and way faster than anyone anticipated. And here's some of his research from, I mean, watch the one on TED Talks, there's graphs everywhere. But here's a, a few things. 2017, that's last year, so his book has just been released, and talking about last year, there were 12 ongoing wars, 60 autocracies, 10% of the world were living in extreme poverty, and there's 10,000 nuclear weapons. Now, none of that's good, but let's go back 30 years. 30 years ago, 23 ongoing wars, 85 autocracies, 37% of people were living in extreme poverty, and there were 60,000 nuclear weapons. And he just goes on with all this information and uh, so many things. In fact, um, next slide, every day for the last 25 years, 137,000 people have escaped extreme poverty. And I checked that out on another website as well. Same stats. When you look at things like lightning strikes, there's way less people being killed from lightning strikes. But in 1900, deaths from natural disasters, about half a million. But by the year 2000, that that was less than half what it used to be. So there's so much good news out there. The world, for all its imperfections, it is a much better state than we think. Mike King, New Zealand comedian and mental health educator, says the key to life is hope. Well, we've actually got a lot more to be hopeful about if we look in the right places. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact you are listening to yourself, the self-talk, rather than talking to yourself, telling yourself the truth. Good news is really important. We've got to be the best gossipers of good news. Last one, and we'll finish off on this. Be proactive with self-care. Care for your body. Did you realise you only get one? I know they can give you extra bits, but it's actually not much fun. You've got to keep on taking all these medications so that it doesn't reject the bit and all the rest of it. You only get one. So adequate sleep. Where's Johnny? That wasn't enough sleep last night. You need more. And good nutrition. Plenty of exercise, big doses of nature, and healthy levels of stress. And, you know, if you feel that your mental, emotional health is sliding, go to the doctor for a physical checkup. Because rather than getting all anxious about what your mind is like or your emotions are like, it may be you've got low iron, um, high iron, um, low something or other else, whatever. Do that. Now, if your body had a voice right now, what 
might it be telling you? Hmm. Try, that. Try some of these. Stop giving me junk food. You're making me sick. I need exercise. You're killing me by overworking. You're damaging my liver and brain with too much alcohol. All that sugar is poisoning me. Your constant anxiety is affecting my heart. We need to listen to our body before it screams at us and we're in ED. Also, care for your soul. This is about playtime. Let's have another lesson from Charlie Brown. When all else fails, turn up the music and dance with your dog. If you don't have a dog, go out for coffee with a good friend. Part of caring for yourself is making sure you've got good friends when you need them. Walks on the beach, saying no to things. Let's have a lesson from Snoopy. I'm temporarily out of order. Please try again later. <laughs> you know, we all can have permission to actually put a boundary up and say no. We can all be the penguin in the middle. Have you ever seen a huddle of penguins and you really feel sorry for the ones on the outside, all standing there shivering and the one in the middle is nice and warm? Well, apparently, if you watch carefully, they're actually all moving. And eventually those ones on the outside actually land up in the middle. And they're in that place of warmth and nurture for a while, then they have to go to the outside again. But some of us always live on the outside, always rescuing people, helping people, always there. And we find it difficult to actually move into the centre and say, hey, I actually need a bit of love right now. Receive and give love. Be thankful. And amongst all those five points, be patient with the process. Charlie Brown, talk to us again. Sometimes I lie awake at night and I ask, where have I gone wrong? Then a voice says to me, this is going to take more than one night. <laughs> Deborah Hill Cohn wrote an article in the New Zealand Herald following the death of Greg Boyd. She said this, when you are in the black hole of depression, there are many people who will try and throw you a rope, but that's not good enough. What you need is someone who's able to get down in the hole with you. And then slowly, very gently, you both build a ladder and you climb out. You wish you could do this faster, or that someone else could do it for you, or that you didn't keep falling back a few rungs and having to start again. But this is the work. Yep, good mental emotional health takes work. But we're not left alone in that work. You know, Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to heal broken hearts. He came to give us freedom. And if you ask him and ask trusted others around, they will point you to the people with the right tools to help you build that ladder and climb it. You see, I've been in one of those holes many years ago in my 20s. I know what it's like. I could so relate to what she said there. That was the same picture I had. I was still searching for the ladder. But God provided, and he wants to provide for you too. So no matter what your soul canvas looks like right now, restoration, freedom, joy is for you. And um, just remind you of the little card. You can grab that as you go. 
But I just want to pray for you now. Is that okay? So, Father, I want to thank you that you are an incredibly loving God. And I want to thank you for the people that you've gifted who can help us when we need it. And I pray for every single individual here. You know the picture on their soul canvas right now. And you know the hopes and the plans and the destiny you have for them. And Lord, my prayer is that every person here would reach out and live in the place of what you've mapped out for them. The hope and the future. Lord, we trust you to lead us and guide us and we thank you for joy and victory in our lives. We thank you, the God of the great turnaround. Amen.